Ladies and gentlemen, this is America's Healthcare Advocate. Broadcasting coast to coast across the USA. Your guide to protecting your personal health. Bringing you simplified answers to the complex questions surrounding healthcare. Everything from cancer to liver transplants. Nutrition. Exercise. My yoga and Pilates instructor, Dana Goodale. Mental health and even pet care. Dr. Wayne Hunthausen, Westwood Animal Hospital. Empowering you to take control of your health and wellness. My very special guest today, Grace Marie Turner, president of the Galen Institute. Welcome back, Grace Marie. But Carrie, it's a pleasure to be with you. And I do have to say, you are the most knowledgeable about health policy. Just superlative. And now, ladies and gentlemen. Gentlemen, 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 gentlemen. And now, America's healthcare advocate, Carrie Hall. Hello, America. Welcome to America's Healthcare Advocate Show, broadcasting coast to coast across the USA here on the HIE Radio Network. Our producer today, Mr. Oscar Monterosa. I'm your host, Carrie Hall. This is your show, America. Thank you for joining us and making us one of the most listened to talk shows throughout the United States. 287 affiliates strong. Thanks to all of you. Our latest affiliate, number 287, is the CAPE, K A P E, in Cape Girardeau, Missouri, 95.7 and FM and 1550 AM. We are very happy to be on down there. I want to thank all those folks down there and the good people um, at Radio America for getting us on. Uh, we're very, very happy to be on in Cape Girardeau. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to working with all the people down there, including St. Francis Hospital that we're going to be working with. So it's a great opportunity for us. And by the way, it happens to be where Rush Limbaugh started broadcasting. I didn't even know that when I went down and met with the folks, but that station is actually where he started broadcasting was the Cape. So how do you like that? I get to, I get to be in the same studio where Rush Limbaugh uh, actually did his radio show. Maybe some of that karma will rub off. Who knows? But once again, uh, we're very excited about being in Cape Girardeau, Missouri, on the Cape, 95.7 and 1550 AM. So um, if you have questions about health insurance, you can call the lovely Joyce Thompson at 877-385-2224, 877-385-2224. She can help you with any health insurance issues you may have, specifically if it's individual health insurance or Medicare. And Sue Dendinger um, will also be glad to help you with any of your group health insurance or employer-sponsored benefits. In fact, I had a listener reach out to me from St. Louis a couple of weeks ago, put them directly in touch with Sue. She's putting them on a health insurance policy. They had been talking to a broker and they said, we really couldn't understand anything he was telling us. So uh, once again, Sue Denninger, she's at the same number, 877-385-2224. That is um, uh, my old agency, RPS Benefits by Design. Benefits by Design is now part of that agency, which is part of Northwestern Mutual. So we're uh, very happy to recommend them to you, and uh, they do great work, and I get a lot of comments on Joyce and Sue. All right, today's show is one of my cornucopia shows where I cover multiple topics. So we're going to talk about the War on Cancer Day. We're going to talk about a breakthrough Alzheimer's drug today. And we're also going to spend two segments of the show with State Senator Beverly Gossage uh, from the state of Kansas. And it's regarding a bill that she put forward that would extend short-term insurance people for three years. The bill was vetoed by the governor. It's been trashed in the Kansas City Star um, <clears throat> and misrepresented. 
We'll talk about all that when we bring uh, Beverly in the sh- in the show. She'll be joining us from uh, uh, Texas as she's at a Heritage Foundation con- uh, conference. But we're going to have her on the air with us to talk about what is short term insurance. Why are we hearing all of these misrepresentations? And I'm being nice when I say that about what these policies do and who they help. All right. So the first segment of the show today, I'm going to start off by talking about. You know, I say this from time to time, and I honestly think people don't really believe what I'm saying. So. I I like to illustrate these things. I've said for a long time that I think we're very close to having serious cure for a lot of cancers. And I mean literally erasing these cancers from the human race. So let me refer to an article I thought was very interesting. This came out of the Wall Street Journal. In the war on cancer, science is winning. I'm not going to say I told you so. But I did tell you so, okay? 50 years ago, Richard Nixon uh, declared a war on cancer in in 1971 and said, if America can go to the moon, we need to have the same concentrated effort to fight cancer and kill cancer, all right? Cancer killed 10 million people worldwide last year and diagnosed 19 million new cases, okay? So what's going on now is completely different. And, and the reason it's different is because of the way cancer is being attacked and the new meds that are being developed. So let me tell you about this. All right, so we, here we go. I've had an oncologist tell me, uh, and this is the, the author of this article, tell me that this is a very exciting time uh, to have cancer. <laughs> I find that a little hard to believe, an exciting time to have cancer. But it is an exciting time to have cancer because of the cures, okay, that people are, are, are going to be seeing, and they're really quite amazing. Promising amazing advances in vaccination. Did you hear what I just said? Vaccination and diagnostic tests, immune therapy, and gene testing. I'm going to talk specifically about gene testing here in a couple of minutes, but catch that part about vaccinations. Can you imagine getting a vaccine to kill cancer, think that can't be done? Well, look what we did with Operation Warp Speed in the coronavirus in one year something people said couldn't possibly happen. It would take at least three years to get that vaccine. It was done in one year. So yes, it can happen, okay? If we did it with COVID-19, we can do it with others. New vaccines against the human pampilonavirus, which causes cervical cancer and throat cancer, um, and also vaccines for melanoma are actually being produced now. Okay, new vaccines. So there are vaccines for those three cancers. In five years, there may be a simple blood test costing less than $500 that can detect 70% of all cancers in their earliest stages when patients with breast cancer, prostate cancer, thyroid cancer spot the disease early. Listen to this. If they can do this, they predict they will cure 99%, 99% of all cancers. Can you believe that? Pretty amazing stuff, isn't it? The new CRISPR gene editing technology deploys a molecular defense system borrowed from the bacteria, which use this system to kill the invading viral cells by unzippering their DNA and tearing it apart. This is a big deal, okay? This is a big deal in treating cancer because it's doing something we've never done before. We're doing it with gene therapy. And I'm going to read you a little something that was interesting from CNBC. If those of you don't know who Kathy Wood is, she runs three funds, two of which I happen to own, by the way, Arc Genomic, Art Innovation, Arc Autonomous. Arc Genomic is a medical fund. She's an extremely smart woman. Okay, listen to what she has to say about this. Elsewhere, Kathy Wood said genomic space is also set to hit escape velocity. DNA sequencing is going to introduce science into healthcare decision-making for the first time. We can honestly say that until now, more than half of all 
all the healthcare decisions were in some part made through guesses or experience. Now they're going to go directly on scientific data. Arc Genomics ETF, which is the fund that I'm part of, that I own part of, um, <clears throat> bets that exact science makes up nearly 5% of the ETF. And they go on to say, the CRISPR therapeutics, which I just read to you out of this article, is what she's basing on. We're going to be able to cure diseases that we never thought we could and would never thought would be possible, including cancer, said uh, Kathy Wood. I'm telling you, folks, this is literally around the corner, and it's going to extend lifetimes. You know, a friend of mine just lost his daughter, who was 30-some years old in California, mother of three. Okay, uh, who had melanoma? Uh, I've I've had I had another friend whose daughter died of a brain cancer. I had another friend whose daughter died of melanoma as well. These all these women were in their 30s and 40s, so their lives have been stolen from them. And I think this is going to be remarkable what it's going to do. <clears throat> This is from one of the oncologists. This is one of his comments in this article. When I became a cancer doctor in the early days, it was horrible, said Andrew Pecora, a hematologist and an oncologist. He was taking part in a conference at the Vatican they do every year on this topic. We had no idea. We gave medicines generally, and we had to hope for the best. It has come so far. Now cancer doctors can isolate the flawed gene among 22,000 of the human genome, and we can define it. We can address it with a drug that is... and. And pretty soon, we're going to be able to genetically fix it. Did you hear what I just said? 22,000 genes, they can isolate the ones that are causing the cancer, and now they're going to be able to go in and kill it, okay? They'll be able, using placentia stem cells to repair defective genes in in the heart of major diseases. Dr. Harris also discovered the the post-birth placentia can be a rich source of stem and a to help immune cells grow and can be turned into two kinds of weapons against disease, genetically modified T cells to target and specifically destroy cancer drugs. They are a natural killer. How about that? No chemotherapy. Can you imagine that? No radiation, okay? No radical surgery, bowel resection, prostate cancer removal, leaves you uh, removing your prostate and leaves you totally incontinent. You've heard me do shows on all this stuff. What I'm trying to say is there's a tremendous message of hope here, okay? <clears throat> and I don't know why we don't hear more about this in the news. I don't know why mainstream media uh, doesn't talk about this more. You know, I get this kind of information. I do research on it, and I look at the, the, the initial information from Kathy Wood, an arc I thought was fascinating because it, it just adds on to what is in this article on the Wall Street Journal. So the good news is, people, that in our lifetimes, and I'm 72 years old, I honestly believe we're going to see a complete cure for cancer, and we're going to see a lot of these cancers eradicated completely. I think it's pretty amazing, and I thought It'd be a good idea to share some of that good news with all of you. When we come back after the break, I'm going to share some more really good news with you on Alzheimer's. Actually, the first drug that actually has an impact on Alzheimer's. You'll find this interesting. Stay tuned. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate broadcasting here on the HIA radio network coast to coast across the USA. We'll be right back.
Welcome back. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate Show, broadcasting coast to coast across the USA here on the HIE Radio Network. My producer, the always perfect Mr. Oscar Monterosa. I'm your host, Kerry Hall. All right. In this segment, I'm going to talk about a brand new Alzheimer's drug. By the way, if you want to tell somebody about one of these broadcasts, maybe, you know, we talk about some of the cancer drugs or well, I'm going to have Beverly Gossage on here in a few minutes, a state senator from Kansas talking about short-term policies. All that stuff's up on the podcast platforms. Tune in, SoundCloud, iTunes, and Spreaker. You can also go to our website and click a link and listen to the shows there. So they're all up there on those libraries if you want to go back and listen to any of them. And if you need help with health insurance, Joyce Thompson, 877-385-2224. All right. So now for the first time, and I've done countless shows on Alzheimer's. Many of you may remember we worked with the Alzheimer's Foundation. We've had Dr. Burns from KU on, who's a leading researcher here in the country. Now there is actually a drug that is nearing the deadline, invented by or put together by Biogen, that actually has an impact. This is the first one that actually does something. It doesn't cure Alzheimer's, but it has a very serious impact on it. So let me start by reading a piece out of this piece in the Washington Post. When Phil Curtis was diagnosed with early-stage Alzheimer's disease at 54, he immediately enrolled in a clinical trial for an experimental drug that he, he felt had little help, but he thought he had little hope of being helped. Over time, he started feeling better. His brain was less cloudy. There was just less fogginess. I remember having a couple of years ago, and I don't really feel that way now. Curtis said, Said this has made a big difference for him. He goes on to say, now he's hoping, along with others, the disease that they will have a chance to get the drug and it won't be just a trial. He's worried that the Food and Drug Administration, which is weighing whether whether to approve the drug, will reject the idea, derailing the medication and jeopardizing his ability to get treatment. So think about that for a minute. This works. Okay, he's one of the people that's showing it's worked. He's in the trial, but there's a discussion at the FDA about not approving it, and I'll explain that here in a minute. On June 7th, the FDA is expected to make its most important decision in years on whether to approve the drug for mild cognitive impairment and early-stage Alzheimer's, the first treatment ever sold to slow the deterioration of the brain function caused by the disease. Wow, pretty impressive, right? Okay, so... They, and the, the way it does that is that it attacks the amyloid plaque that causes Alzheimer's. That's, the, that's what the drug does, okay? And as the gentleman that I just referred to uh, talks about, the, he, this made a big difference to him. Phil, Phil Goodis said this drug made a big difference. He doesn't feel like he's walking in a fog and he's able to function now. So the, the FDA goes through what's called, first they go through the trials, stage one, stage two, stage three. And then uh, when the FDA officials approve, a drug or say they're going to prove it to bring it to market, they go to what's called the FDA Advisory Committee. You may remember when we were in Operation Warp Speed waiting to get the um, uh, uh, COVID-19 vaccines, and President Trump forced this uh, to happen in a very quick timeline, although they didn't cut any corners, but they forced it and to get rid of the bureaucracy and the red tape. And there was some holdup uh, with the advisory committee. So let me tell you what the FDA advisory committee is saying here. The FDA advisory committee recommended against approval and harshly rebuked the FDA staff the FDA staff that approved this and said they wanted to move forward with it uh, because it called overly positive view. An overly positive view. The worst thing that people, the worst thing for people with Alzheimer's would be to put it out there if the product doesn't work, said Aaron Kesselheim, a professor of medicine at Harvard University. He said in a recent interview, it'd be sold at an extremely high price and a waste of resources. It could go to other things. Really? How about telling that to Mr. Goodis? Okay. 
if he thinks it's a waste of resources. You know, I, this is where I have a problem with government, okay? And we're in a mode now where we're expanding government, or at least, you know, the current administration is trying to expand it. Maybe that's their Operation Warp Speed, okay? Give more power to these bureaucrats. So here we have a professor at Harvard who's going to impact the life of Mr. Goodis by telling him, I'm not approving this because I think these resources could be spent somewhere else. So how's that going to work? Biogen spends millions and millions and millions of dollars. I've done shows on this before where I've talked about what it takes to bring one of these drugs to market. And now you're telling Biogen after they went through all this trouble and effort and research for how many every years this took, and it took quite a few, that they need to repurpose their resources. Does that really make any sense to any of you out there listening to this? It certainly doesn't make any sense to me. We're going to deny treatment to people because it's not the panacea that these particular people think it should be, specifically this doctor from Harvard. I mean, really? (laughs) You know, this is where I have a lot of trouble with government. I can't help it, okay? You know, we have innovation. Innovation makes a difference. They know this thing works. They're not saying it's perfect. They're saying that it works. And the cost of it, $50,000 a year. Is that expensive? You bet it is. Who's going to pay for that? The insurance carriers are going to pay for it, and Medicare is going to pay for it. Now, maybe, I don't know, you know, maybe there's pressure on this committee not to approve it because Medicare doesn't want to have to pay for it. I don't know. I'm not saying that's the case. I just think it's interesting that there's actually a first drug that slows this down by, by attacking the amylogen plaque. And what it does is it brings it together. It's like a sticky glue. It brings it together and slows down the process. It doesn't cure Alzheimer's. They're not saying that. But again, it gives people some hope and lets them think, man, if we got this far, what could happen then? Biogen says the medication slowing down the disease gives patients valuable time with their families to perform everyday tasks such as, and uh, helps them with everyday tasks such as cleaning and shopping. And the intravenous treatment does not cure Alzheimer's or reverse it. It could cost as much as $50,000 a year, according to drug analysts, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, it could, okay? <clears throat> but I'm going to tell you something. If, if my wife had Alzheimer's or I had Alzheimer's and it was $50,000 a year, I would do everything in my power to make sure she had access to that drug. Now the only way you can get access to it is by qualifying for one of these trials, which means a very limited number of people um, have the opportunity to get this medication. This is where the things that go on in government just make you want to pull your hair out, okay? It took a long time to get this drug to market. It's the only one, and believe me, as I said, I've done multiple shows on this topic. It is the only drug out there that has any impact on this at all. There have been, you know, Merck, there, there are a whole host of other companies that have worked so hard to try to bring these drugs to market. Here's another thing, okay? If this drug goes forward and they do finally approve it, it's going to give the the companies a baseline. This is another thing they were saying. It'll give the companies a baseline to start expanding on, hey, that worked this way. Okay, you just heard me talk about in the previous segment, DNA and gene sequencing. Well, if they're saying that if we have this medication, it's a start, it's a platform, it's a base, it's a foundation that would then give the other companies, because this will all be shared, all right? The information here will be shared with the other companies. They're sh- all of them are sharing their information now so that they can all work together on, on, on dealing with this disease. So 
again, I think it's incredibly foolish uh, on the part of the FDA advisory committee. By the way, it's not the FDA. It's the FDA advisory committee. Um, I urge you, um, if you know someone that has Alzheimer's, okay, and someone in your family has dementia, reach out to your congressman, reach out to your senator, and reference this, okay? Uh, You can go up on the website again. You know, we've got all the information on the shows up there if you want to tell somebody about it. But it's the Biogen medication um, that that has been uh, developed for the treatment of Alzheimer's, um, and it is an an effective drug. Again, as I said, it's not 100% effective, but it's effective enough that people like Mr. Guterres um, feel like it's made a big difference for him and changed his life. All right, when we come back after the break, we're going to have Beverly Gossett join us, state senator from the state of Kansas. She's going to talk about the short-term health insurance bill she put forward that the governor vetoed and why. You'll find this most interesting. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with more on America's Healthcare Advocate. Welcome back. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate Show, broadcasting coast to coast across the USA here on the HIA Radio Network. My producer, Mr. Oscar Monterosa. I'm your host, Kerry Hall. Joining me in this segment, Beverly Gossage, state senator from the state of Kansas. She is the vice chair of the health committee and also uh, on the FINI committee where she chairs that committee and that committee deals with health insurance. What brought Beverly to my attention was she had put forth a bill to extend short-term health insurance, which I've talked about on this show extensively in the past, to making it a three-year policy so people could get it from year to year. Um, And the purpose of the short-term policy is specifically for people who cannot get a subsidy and need health insurance. This is an option for them if they qualify to get a real health insurance policy that will cover them for a certain period of time. What Beverly's bill will do, and I'll have her speak to this in a minute, was extend that out to three years. But what really got my attention was an editorial in the Kansas City Star, which was scathing in the way it treated this bill and Beverly Gossage and was full of complete and total misinformation. After that, Beverly wrote an editorial back, which I thought was fascinating, filled with factual information about what the short-term policies do and how they work. But I want to start off, Beverly, by asking, this is the part, this is the one thing the star tried to do, which I thought was absolutely pathetic, was to tie you to these short-term health insurance policies because you sell hundreds of them every year and you make a fortune doing it. Can you respond to that? (laughs) I'd be happy to. Actually, as a health insurance agent, and I have been one for 17 years now, I write all forms of insurance, everything from Medicare to group plans to individual policies, sharing ministries, uh, including short-term medical, and I'm certified to write plans on the ACA or the federal marketplace. It's laughable that I wrote 17 total of those plans last year, and we only have 1,800 people in the state of Kansas that have them, whereas there are 90,000 people in Kansas that have those ACA-qualified plans. So it's just silly to try to infer that I would make a, you know, 
could buy a Maserati on the plans that I wrote uh, in the state of Kansas, and that's why I'm pushing um, the three-year extension. You, you might be able to buy a margarita, but you're not going to buy a Maserati, <laughs> no, that's for sure. So, so then, So then you wrote the editorial back, which mm-hmm. I thought was fascinating. So let's go through how you responded to what was said, because you know the, the term that they love to throw around, and the governor vetoed the bill the other day, we'll get to that in a minute, is mm-hmm. junk insurance. Well, mm-hmm. it, it's junk to liberals and Democrats, because they don't want people to have this option. The problem is, and I spoke with a broker yesterday who had just converted a woman who'd been on the policy for three years over to Medicare, and she said, you know, without that short-term policy, I would not have had insurance because I can't afford, I cannot afford the um, premiums for the non-subsidized ACA policy. So let's do something here. Let's give an example of what a typical short-term policy would be for a family of four, and then an example of what the Medicare, excuse me, what the ACA Obamacare policy is typically if you do not get a subsidy. That's a very good question, but as you probably know, sometimes that's like saying, um, what's the cost of a red car? It depends on the deductible that they selected, the zip code that they're in, the state that they're in, you know, et cetera. In my testimony, I did use single individuals and used an example of like a 25-year-old and a 55-year-old and compared what the premiums would be. And the savings is about 70% for most people who choose the $5,000 or the $2,500 deductibles, whereas nearly every policy on the exchange is going to have an $8,550 total out-of-pocket. You may recall that the example that I gave is one of my own clients who actually works at the Capitol, who is a strong supporter of this because he had a short-term medical plan last year and purchased the plan in January, happened to be his second year on the plan, which by the way, most people don't realize that currently the law reads in Kansas, you can purchase six months or 12 months, of course, you can cancel at any time at the end of any month, but you can only purchase one more year with the same carrier. If you wanted to have a purchase a third year, you would have to go to a different carrier. That's the way the law reads currently. Also, you would be re-underwritten, uh, which means they would look at any condition in the first year and that condition would not be covered in the second year because they do not cover pre-existing conditions. So back to him. So in February, he suffered severe abdominal pain, went to the emergency room, discovered that he needed to have emergency gallbladder surgery. When all the bills came in, it was over $95,000 in medical expenses. However, he only had to pay his $2,500 deductible. On that that junk, is hardly on, on that, junk insurance. On, on that junk insurance, Beverly. That's, yeah, that's on that junk insurance, yeah. right. Yeah. But had he had an ACA plan because he chose the $2,500 deductible, the premium on the ACA would have been right at 50% more. In other words, double. So he would have paid twice as much for his premium. And his out-of-pocket, instead of being 2500 would have been $8,550. 
Yeah. Which one sounds like junk insurance to you? Well, and you know, so so and let's so let's talk about that because what this is yeah. really all about. The reason why they say this is because they, they it, you know their big hue and cry is it doesn't cover pre-existing conditions. Right. All right. So let's 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 go through that, okay? Yeah. And explain what that means because I can tell you on the policies when I was doing this and when my brokerage agency, which is now part of Northwestern Mutual, does it. There are mm-hmm. five questions on the Blue Cross and Blue Shield policy you have. You're answer. Right. That's it. So let's yep. talk about the pre-existing condition thing because that's the that's what Laura Kelly talked about when she mm-hmm. responded and said this is why we did it and it's junk insurance. So let's talk about this pre-existing condition issue that they continue to harp on. Right. First of all, we need to understand that about 70% of Americans never spend more than $500 in any given year on medical conditions. And about half of them spend nothing. So insurance is not really insurance. It's prepaid medical care if you purchase a plan and you can wait until you get sick. So that's not really insurance. You're not insuring something unknown, in other words. Real insurance is like life insurance or homeowners or auto insurance where it's not going to cover the accident you had yesterday, but you're buying a new policy today. That is what actually keeps rates down, encourages people to buy a policy as soon as possible. Now, you may recall, Carrie, because I know you and I were both around then, when the ACA was even discussed, they called the plans we had from 17 different carriers at that time in the private open marketplace, they called all of those junk plans, if you remember. Oh, yeah. And the reason they did was because they said it didn't cover pre-existing conditions, which was actually a lie. Those plans did cover most common pre-existing conditions. If you said to me, well, I have asthma, the next question I would ask is, how severe is it? Did you have any hospitalizations in the last year due to your asthma? What medications do you take for it? Why were these things important? Because some carriers would have accepted you like, oh, well, haven't had a problem in the last five years. Don't expect it will be. You just use a inhaler once in a blue moon. We're not going to increase your rate because of that. And rates were extremely low. But if you said, well, I've had two hospitalizations. I take a very expensive medication. Um, it's probably my number one concern then you would have a choice in the state of Kansas. You could go with the carrier that said, we're going to cover everything else, but we're not touching that asthma. That's called a rider. Another might say, well, we'll take you, but because of the asthma, we are going to increase your premium some. Or you might have a carrier that said, we're going to give you a separate deductible for that asthma. Now, because of the ACA, Now you're left with just short-term medical plans that don't cover any pre-existing conditions. But people do know that going in, and they determine, well, you know what, I just don't really have anything, or I have this little simple rosacea, and I take a medication for it that's not very expensive, because many of them don't cover medications. Those that do are more expensive. But you make that calculated risk. 
Right. I'm fine with that. Yeah, and, and the point is that it nobody's saying this is out there and it's good for everybody. What right. we are saying is, like your gentleman who had the gallbladder surgery, right. like the lady who just moved off the policy on the Medicare that had it for right. three years and told Joyce Thompson in her office, if I hadn't had this, I simply wouldn't have had insurance. So and what's that's better? The majority of the people. Yeah, so what's yeah. better to have this or have nothing? This is the nothing. part about it that I right. don't. Yeah, and this is the part that I don't get. I don't understand why there is this hell bent for leather attitude that we have to get rid of these policies um, and, and and replace it. Because if you can't, if you don't get a subsidy. The cost of the ACA Obamacare policies is out of reach for a lot of people. So I'm going to ask you to stay on. We're going to go on break here shortly. Uh I want you to stay on and come back. We're going to do one more segment. I want people to hear some more about this. So stay tuned. We're going to be right back after the break with State Senator Beverly Gossage. We're going to continue to talk about this issue of the short-term insurance policies, what they offer, and who they're good for. Stay tuned. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate, broadcasting here on the HIA Radio Network, coast-to-coast across the U.S welcome back you're listening to america's healthcare advocate show broadcasting coast to coast across the usa here on the hie radio network you can find out more about us by going to the website americashealthcareadvocate.com. Joining me in this segment again, Beverly Gossage, state senator for the state of Kansas. And I'm asking her, she's the vice chair of the health committee and the committee that also handles financial and insurance. And I'm asking her to talk about a bill that she put forward that would have guaranteed people coverage for three years on short-term policies that Governor Kelly vetoed. And of course, our local liberal newspaper, the Kansas City Star, wrote a scathing editorial, which was completely false, uh, accusing her of only doing this because she was making a significant amount of money off it. She wrote all the 14 policies in one year, people. Point is, okay, that there's a misrepresentation here. There's a place for these policies and there's a group of people that need them. We just talked about two different people. But I want to go back to the bill, Beverly, and I want to talk about what were the reasons Laura Kelly, the governor, our Democrat governor in Kansas, what were the reasons that she said she vetoed this bill? What were her specific reasons? Well, her first specific reason was that it was junk insurance, and we have addressed that, that it absolutely is not. The second reason that she gave is she says the solution is Medicaid expansion, which, of course, I'm not sure for whom that is a solution, and that's a completely different conversation I'd be happy to have with you, Carrie. Yeah. But Medicaid expansion would never help these people. Thank these you. are folks, as you mentioned, who are middle-income folks who do not qualify for a subsidy and therefore definitely would never qualify for Medicaid expansion. So that is not a solution for them at all, uh, and I would argue not a solution for anyone. Yeah, I mean, you, and, you, you have to ask yourself a question. Why? First of all, for her to even say that, which, by the way, was in the Kansas City Star in a follow-up mm-hmm. article, just shows complete ignorance. You it can't. Does. You can't. If you can't qualify for a subsidy on Obamacare, how the hell are you going to qualify for Medicaid? Okay, because right. you, you have to be so far below the poverty line to qualify for it. Obviously, you don't. So this whole thing is a false flag, false narrative that we're getting from these people regarding this issue and denying people, which is what is really going on here is you're denying people an opportunity to get decent health insurance with lower deductibles, as you illustrated in the example you gave, $2,500 deductible versus the Obamacare deductible of $8,700. And by the way, 
access to real health insurance and access to real health insurance providers because you have a full-blown network. If it's Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Kansas City or Kansas, you have access to their whole network for all their doctors and hospitals. Try doing that with Medicaid. And not only that, but then you would have to go to a doctor that offers Medicaid and you would be putting people in the line behind you that are disabled, low-income seniors, pregnant women, low-income children. Now you're crowding them out from finding a doctor that's on Medicaid. And most of the people that would go on Medicaid expansion are people who already have a private policy now. But again, that's another discussion. Third reason was that these plans do not provide consumer protections, which is sadly very mistaken. One, these plans are covered um, by the uh, insurance department. So they are regulated by the insurance department. Not only that, they cover any condition that the consumer should develop while on the plan, such as like a heart attack, cancer, gallbladder, broken leg, you name the condition. It would be covered as long as it was not pre-existing. And as with all plans, the consumer is aware of any exclusions before applying for any coverage and they can decide if the plan is right for them. Now, the second thing is these plans are regulated, as I said, by the state insurance department. So you do have an advocate with the department. But this is what's really telling. The bill actually gives greater consumer protection that she vetoed. So if she's concerned about providing consumer protection, she should be absolutely in favor of this bill and should have signed it. Because we haven't really talked about what the bill does, but in essence, look, these plans are going to be around whether the bill was signed or not, whether it went into effect or not. We're not voting for or against these plans. We're voting for or against the bill. And what the bill basically says is you can buy a plan for 12 months. You can buy a plan for another 12 months and you can buy a plan for a third 12 months with um, the same carrier or insurer. However, the difference is instead of the first 12 months, again, if you develop any conditions currently, they would not be covered in the second 12 months. Any conditions would not be covered in the third 12 months. This says greater consumer protection. If you develop a condition the first 12 months, whether that be heart heart attack, whatever it may be, it will be covered. You can get treatment in the second 12 months and the third 12 months, giving those folks a longer period of time to get treatment for any condition that developed in that first 12 months. Who would not be in favor of this? Yeah, I and mean, you the know, last thing, yeah. Yeah, it flies in the face, Beverly, of everything they say, okay, because mm-hmm. what you're doing is you're giving people that guaranteed coverage for three years if they develop yes. a serious condition. And that will be enforced by the Department of Insurance. And I can assure you yes. from experience that they look very carefully at these policies mm-hmm. and what you can say about them and what you can't, okay, and yes. how they can be marketed. So continue. Yes. And one um, leg- or one senator said on this, the Senate floor when, pre- when I presented this bill that, well, I checked with the insurance department and they said, this is not guaranteed that they can have this continual renewal. And I said, they go, so, you know, these people be out in the cold. Well, that's ridiculous. It's not guaranteed by the insurance department, but it is guaranteed by the insurer if they offer it. So if they offer it, it's an absolute guarantee. And the insurance department would make sure, as you said, that they held up their bargain or held up their contract. The final thing was, she said signing the bill would cause more Kansans families to go bankrupt over medical bills. I'm sorry, what? This gives them greater protection from bankruptcy because they actually have insurance. As you said, it has been my experience, many of the folks who buy a short-term medical plan admit, I've been uninsured for a year or two or more because I just cannot afford these plans that are offered through the ACA. 
Understandable. One last thing I would mention. She didn't say this in her veto, but it was brought up earlier in the, I think, the article, and certainly on the Senate floor. Well, what about the America's rescue plan under President Biden? They're going to add all this money to those ACA plans and make them even more affordable. Well, if you listen to what CMS has to say and everything that has come out about this, it's going to take at least two years for this to fully to be in effect. However, all of these monies, these taxpayer dollars are going to people who already receive subsidies to get even more. Those in the middle income may at best, and they average about $50 less per month. Well, if you're 55 years old and your premium ranges from $675 to $1,200, depending on the deductible that you select, then you tell me a $50 is going to make you want to buy No, it's not going to make any difference at all. Not at all. Yeah, we're coming on the end of the show. Beverly Gossage, State Center from the state of Kansas. Thank you so much for doing this today. I greatly appreciate everything that you have done. And now, ladies and gentlemen, I leave you with this thought from Albert Einstein. The one who follows the crowd will usually get no further than the crowd. The one who walks alone is likely to find himself in places no one has ever been. Thank you for listening to America's Healthcare Advocate, broadcasting coast to coast across the USA. Goodbye, America. Goodbye, America.